BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn on. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I'll say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk. Welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Every Thursday on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. As I tell you guys every week, the interviews you hear on the podcast all originated on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, which is heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern, Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, or on the Sirius XM app anytime. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you are only listening to this podcast, please come on board and join us for the daily radio show and get involved. we got an easy way for you to do that. If you'd like to get a free three-month subscription to Sirius XM, all you got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. You can get SiriusXM for three months for free and no credit card is required. So you don't have any excuse to not at least sample what we're doing on a daily basis and get the full picture. So please come on board. SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk, your free three-month trial, no credit card, no obligation, and you can hear what's going on each and every day for The Daily Show, Trunk Nation, Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103. There's also a sixth weekly show, and that is on Sirius XM Channel 39, Hair Nation, on Mondays, 5 to 8 Eastern. Six live shows a week on Sirius XM. Hope you come on board and join us. This week on the podcast, two interviews that took place, of course, on Trunk Nation. One with LeJean Witherspoon, lead singer of the band Seven Dust, and one with Kevin Martin, lead singer of the band Candlebox, who were celebrating the 30th anniversary of what was a huge album, their debut album. And we talked a little bit about that. Uh, the Candlebox were getting ready to go out on tour. They are now on tour. At the time we did the interview, they were just on the verge of playing their first show in L.A. at the Troubadour and then rolling out from there. And in this interview, 
Kevin reveals that he's not going to continue making new music or touring with Candlebox, and he gives his explanation for that. So we'll start with Kevin, and then up next, LeJean Witherspoon of Seven Dust, brand new record coming, a tour going on right now with Alter Bridge. Always great to visit with him. That'll be our second interview this week on the podcast. But let's get started with the lead singer of Candlebox, Kevin Martin, on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Kevin, how are you, man? Eddie, I'm doing fantastic, my man. How are you? Good. Good to talk to you. It blows my mind when I say it's been 30 years since that <laughs> first record. How does it feel for you? Does it feel like it's been that long? <laughs> you know, I, I think every day it feels like that. Um, no, honestly, it doesn't. I mean, I I think that right now, just with the you know the the finality of of me kind of retiring at the at the end of the year, it does feel like that. Um, because I realized that, you know, it's, it's just been, we've been in a, a you know, family, uh, families and kids and parents lives for a long time. And that's, that's a, it's kind of a strange thing. I think if we'd, have, if you'd have told us this, you know, that's the old cliche. If you told me this when I was a teenager, I would never believe you, but I mean, I honestly don't, I, I cannot believe it's been 30 years. It's, it's beyond me. Yeah, it really is. Now I, I want to talk to you about your decision to end things, which we'll get into here in a second. But going back 30 years to the debut album and it coming like I, you know, I've worked in radio my whole life. I've been in, in radio 40 years. So I was there when the record came out. I remember the initial singles. I remember it, it seemingly t to me as an East Coast guy based in New York, New Jersey, um, Candlebox seemingly came out of nowhere and suddenly was just on the radio everywhere and just blew up out of the gate. But I'm sure there's more of a backstory than when it got on my radar and most other people's radar. So, so how long, Kevin, had you been, you know, working the scene in Seattle before all that happened for you? Well, to be honest with you, not long. Um, we there were three of us in the band that were under the age of 21, and back in the 80s, uh, in the in the city of Seattle, if you weren't 21, you couldn't play a bar. Um, you couldn't even go in to you know set up your gear and and play your set and then leave. Um, so it made it very difficult for, uh, for us to do that because Barty and myself, uh, were only 20 when the band started. So we were playing outside of the city. We would play like North Seattle, uh, East side, all ages parties, friends, house parties, um, garage parties and stuff like that. Um, and it wasn't until I believe it was, uh, May of 92 that Barty turned 21 and we were able to actually play our first show with a band from Seattle called Sweetwater who asked us to open up a a set at the rock candy. So, you know, it, to be honest with you, all of us had other bands. Um, I've been, I, I've been playing drums and punk bands since I was, you know, 10, 12 years old. So, but it wasn't, it wasn't really, there's no long history of the band in Seattle. And, and, you know, I think that's why we took as much kind of, you know, shit as we did. Uh, you know, I, there's that book called, you know, everybody loves our town. And, uh, I believe the chapter is called the old immigrants hate the new immigrants. I mean, we were the new immigrants and, uh, it was a weird, place for a band like us to be because we were friends with all the guys in all those bands. And, you know, Scott Mercado, our drummer had played with Kelly or played with Jeff Tate in, uh, I believe it was realms was Jeff's first metal band uh, or myth, whichever it was. And so Scott had been in the scene, but Pete Barty and, and myself had, had never played in, in any of those kind of, you know, rock and roll clubs or, or with any of those kind of uh, historic Seattle bands. So when you say you guys took some shit, was it, was the perception 
the fact that because I don't ever get caught up in that stuff. If a band's good, they're good, and if the songs are good, they're good, and that's all I really care about. But was the yeah, perception yeah. that Candlebox was just like kind of uh, cashing in on the Seattle wave at the time, and that you guys were somewhat you know fabricated or put together to kind of capitalize on that? That's I think what a lot of the misconception was certainly across the country um, in Seattle. Uh, it was, you know, it was a very clicky scene. It was very high school. If you weren't on the varsity team, nobody wanted to, you know, have you play on the team. So, you know, we were JV kids, uh, freshmen, if you will. And um, there were a lot of bands that just were like, who the fuck are these guys? Where did they come from? Uh, a lot of people made the, the assumption that we had moved to Seattle to get signed. There was only one band that I know of that did that. And that was the best kissers of the world or best kissers in the world. And I think they moved there from like Phoenix or maybe Portland. But I mean, if they moved there from Portland, you might as well just be from the Northwest music scene anyways. But right. yeah, we took a, we took a, we took a ton of shit. I mean, uh, Courtney Love hated our guts. She taught, she accused us of riding Kurt's coattails, which I think is hilarious because there was nothing about Candlebox that was remotely close to um, Nirvana. And, and Nirvana certainly wasn't the first band to put Seattle on the map. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a tough place for, you know, a, a 19, 20, 20 year old kid to be starting out a band, you know, in 1990 or 91. Um, it was not an easy city to, um, to have people pay attention to you. But all of that obviously immediately changed after Nevermind blew up. And we know that story and everything that came out behind that, including Candlebox in terms of the lineage and the, and the history. When being a guy from that area and being super young and being on the scene did you have any feeling before the whole nevermind thing happened and the whole world changed with that? Did you have any feeling as a local guy in a band on that scene that that was coming? Did you, did you see Nirvana previous to that? And, and did you have any idea that this, everything was going to shift and that Seattle was going to become this hotbed? Did, did, was there any, any inkling of that in on your radar at all? I think so. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, there were so many great record stores there. Uh, Fallout Records um, had a lot of punk shows. I mean, you could, I saw Nirvana in Olympia when Chad Channing was playing drums with them right after they released Bleach. Um, I mean, I, first time I saw Soundgarden, Chris was playing drums and singing. So you could tell that there was this kind of urgency of, of, of or I guess it's kind of like, there was so much music happening and there was, it was this massive Petri dish that was just allowing it to happen. And, and it was like all this, crazy great fungus was growing and and you knew that it was going to be something special but was anybody going to pay attention to it i mean i certainly was probably far too young to think that oh this might be the same scene as new york or this might be the same scene as athens you know georgia or maybe los angeles i you know being a 14 15 year old kid i would never have assumed that or have known that but i i think when i hit 18 19 i started to realize how much attention was being paid um, to the city. I was working at Fluvog Shoes with Susan Silver and she was managing Soundgarden and Allison Chains and Screaming Trees and all those bands. So the guys were coming in to get flyers so you could see that something was happening. Um, but I didn't really know what it was going to be like. I don't think any anybody from Seattle expected it to be um, as groundbreaking as it was, if you will. Was there a band that you saw early on on that scene that that you swore was going to be big and was should have made it and was going to make it and didn't sweetwater yeah sweetwater yeah they were they were i mean and they're still playing i mean great friends with those guys great band i mean certainly you know i look 
Green River malfunction, all of that was, you know, it, it was amazing. But I always thought the Sweetwater was going to be just ginormous. Uh, the singer was gorgeous. The band was great. They played arena rock. Um, it was different than, you know, again, I, the interesting thing about the Seattle scene is maybe because I'm in it is none of those bands sound the same to me. Not one of those bands has the influence of another band in it. You know, certainly the inspirations there, but um, I just thought it was just, you know, uh, amazing music scene. And there was everything from arena rock to, to punk rock, um, you know, and acid rock and, you know, metal. I mean, Mace was one of the best metal bands that, that came out of Seattle that um, never made it. Um, that was, of course, Dave Hillis, who was the engineer on Pearl Jam 10 and a lot of the Alice in Chains stuff. He was the guitar player for Mace. Um, I thought they were going to be huge in that, in that metal market. But, um, you know, it's, I guess that's why I'm not a, you know, A&R guy at a, radio, a record label. And speaking of A&R guys, of course, uh, Candlebox and that first record famous, famously for uh, you guys being signed to Madonna's label Maverick. And I don't remember if were you, I don't remember if you were the first signed to Maverick or the first successful band signed to Maverick, but take us through that. Were you the very first band signed by her? We were the very first band signed by her. Guy O'Siri um, was working with a band called Proper Grounds, which was um, kind of a rap rock thing that he was getting. He was trying to get signed to Maverick. And I don't think that ever really went through. Um, I think a couple of guys went off to be in um, House of Pain and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we were the first band to sign and, um, and the first successful band. And I think the Deftones were after us and then Alanis Morissette. And and for those that don't know, Guy Osiri was the basically Madonna's right hand at that time for the label and her company. How uh, Kevin? How involved was she at all involved in that the first record or being hands on with you guys in any way, or was she just more of like a figurehead for the company? I think there were times when she would make certain phone calls for you know uh, favors for the band if it was you know getting us on you know some sort like I think she made the phone call to get us on the John Stewart show on MTV. Um, but we didn't even meet her until like a year and a half after we signed, uh, we were doing, um, the rush tour, uh, in 94, our stop was at Madison square garden with them in New York. And that's the first time we met her, we met her for dinner. Um, but she, I mean, listen, she was an amazing person and, and she made sure that that label, you know, worked and she put a lot of money into it. So, uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, it was probably better that she kind of left us alone with Guy and Freddie and, and, the, and the team at Maverick um, because, it, you know, it's a Warner Brothers company. So they had that whole division uh, radio and everything that was working really, really well. So it was a pretty positive relationship um, other than her having to, you know, make a, a few phone calls to get us, you know, some favors for us. That was about it, I think. Yeah, that was kind of the thing back then. There were a bunch of major labels that had uh, offshoot labels. I remember I did a lot of work with Atlantic back then and Michael Douglas, yeah. the actor had a label called third stone and he put yeah. out, you know, put a few records. It was the same deal. It was basically the Atlantic staff, but when, you know, somebody needed a favor or something could help nudge the needle, then he would jump in and, and get involved, which, you know, obviously helps the case when, when you need it. I, I until you forgot, until you mentioned, I completely forgot you open for rush. That had to be an amazing experience for you. You got any great stories from that? That was the most amazing experience of my life. Um, I had taught myself to play drums listening to Rush. I considered myself to be a great drummer, which I think is funny. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, it was pretty spectacular. And I remember when we got the phone call, the first, um, 
the first run we did with them was from Pensacola um, to San Diego. Uh, we were still in a van and um, pulling a trailer behind the van and stuff. And the guys were really generous. When we got to Austin, uh, Neil came to our dressing room, which uh, it's so funny to say out loud. And he knocked on the door and, and you know, he came in and said, you guys mind if I give you some tips on a set list? And we're like, sure. He's like, I've been watching the last few shows. And I think that maybe if you started with this and moved into this one and then you, and it was, it was absolutely correct. I mean, we did that that night in Austin or the next night in uh, San Antonio at the Alamo dome. And it was the perfect set list. And, um, and they were all like that. Alex and Getty, you know, Alex would come in and have a, you know, this is back when he still drank, he'd come in and have a sip of scotch with us. Um, uh, Getty would come in and, and chat with us after shows. I really liked this. I liked how you did that. And then the end of tour party, which was, you know, um, that's what bands used to do back in the day. I don't know if bands still do it. Um, but we, I played golf. I played 18 holes with uh, Neil Pert and um, we just talked about drums and music and stuff for, you know, four and a half hours. It was, um, pretty mind bending, but you know, I mean, that's every kid's dream is to tour with one of your favorite bands of all times. And, and then when you get there, you, you know, it takes you about three weeks or four weeks to even realize that you're actually doing what your dream was, you know? And, um, and they were just so generous to us. They, they actually gave us our first tour bus. We came back from um, the break and they said, send the van home. That bus is for you and we're paying for it. So they actually covered our tour bus for us. Wow. Well, I, I'm, you know, to talk about surreal stuff. I mean, I'm lucky enough to to know those guys. And I interviewed Neil only once. I did not know Neil well, but I did do one lengthy TV interview with him, which I'll never forget. And Getty and Alex, I know, and they're wonderful people. And that would that's the really cool thing about this that I know as, as well is that, yes, you had that experience, but also it wasn't a letdown. You didn't get out there and find out that your heroes were dicks and self-centered and never even came over to talk to you or never cared. I mean, you hear that story from so many bands and to know that Rush are who they are, but the type of people they are, the quality people they are, that really puts it over the top. Yeah, it does. I mean, listen, we learned so much from them. We have, since that tour, we've treated every single band that we've ever toured with or that's ever opened for us exactly how they treated us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lastly on the past, before we talk about what's going on now, um, when, you know, I wonder for young guys like this signed out of Seattle, that whole scene's happening, Madonna's record label signs you, and then you, you come out with songs like you and far behind and they're all over the radio record is selling millions of copies. I would imagine there's nothing that can prepare you guys for that immediate success. How did, how did y'all handle it so quickly? We didn't do well. Um, no, I mean, we, we got caught up in the hole. We got to get in the studio, make the next record. Let's make the record different. Um, you know, you get, you get pushed and pulled in all sorts of directions. Um, you know, that whatever little drug habits you had that you could barely afford before, now you can afford as much cocaine as you want, um, which is ridiculous. And, um, you know, the alcohol intake is, is more and you start buying dumb cars and stupid houses and, you know, all sorts of dumb shit. Um, that you fall, you know, you fall into that trap. Um, but we had a good manager. We were managed by Lindy Getz, who managed the Chili Peppers at the time as well. And and he was, you know, as as good as he was. He tried his best to keep us focused as a band. Um, and and you know, I think he even actually convinced my guitar player to go to rehab. But um, you know, it it we were not prepared at all. I mean, it was a very strange thing. I remember waking up one morning to go out to get my paper in Seattle, and there were people sitting outside my my uh, gate you know, waiting for me to come out and, you know, and I had, I had never experienced anything like that. I thought that was the strangest thing in the world because it's not something I would ever do. So 
I just was taken aback by that. I was like, why are you here? And they're like, oh, we just, can you sign this stuff? And I said, this is my house. Get out of my house. And like, it's a strange thing, a very strange thing. Yeah. And, and you, you referenced following that up because the follow-up record, Lucy, and then Happy Pills, I mean, you know, it's the old adage, you got your whole life to write your first record, <laughs> and then you've got to figure out what you do for the second and third record, and that's where really things make or break. And regardless of how you or fans may feel about those follow-up records, you know, nothing. It, it would be very hard to recreate that success of that first record. When you look back on those two records, how do you feel you guys did? I think we did the right thing with Lucy in the sense that we went in the direction that allowed the band to evolve. Um, I don't think that the record, you know, mix-wise and production-wise is great. Um, I think that there's things that on that record that are pretty brilliant, and then there's stuff on the record that's absolute horseshit. But, um, you know, it, that's... You you have to fail, you know, before you can succeed again. And I think Happy Pills was a great follow-up from Lucy. It was a really good, solid record for us to kind of establish ourselves as, as good songwriters. The sad thing is that, you know, the relationship with, within the band and the label went sour in 99, and we weren't able to recapture what the, in the direction we were heading. Because, you know, when we did Into the Sun in 2008 – that would have been our fourth record for Maverick and it would have been a really great fourth record for us. Um, but sadly, you know, uh, it's, it, like I said, it went South and, and we lost a ton of momentum from 2000 to 2006. So it was, um, it was a, t it was a tough time. Did the band actually break up from 2000 to 06? Yeah, we did. We broke up to get out of the contract and then I was locked in as, as a key man. So I actually had to, um, I had to recoup a fourth record that I never made for Maverick. Um, and that took about 13 years to do because it was based on my quarter advance of that album, which I never got, but I was trying to leave to go make a record at gold circle. And, and the attorneys were like, well, if you want to leave, you're going to have to pay back this quarter of the record you never did and never got. And that was the only way I could get out. So it took me 13 years to pay back that uh, $250,000 advance at my quarter of, you know, a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the side of the music industry that fans don't always see or hear about, but is a big part of it. I mean, that I always tell the audience all the time, that second word looms large in music business, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a big part of it. So let, let's go forward to where we are now. Um, you are embarking on a tour starting tomorrow night at the Troubadour in LA. Uh, you got a bunch of dates coming up, most with three doors down. Uh, also, uh, out on the road with those guys. And you've announced that there will be, uh, there's a new single, uh, which I've heard and I've seen the video. It's very cool coming out tomorrow for a song called punks. And you've announced what will be essentially a final album. The long goodbye is the title of it. So why the decision to, uh, you know, to end it and end it in this way at this time? Well, you know, I, 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 during COVID, I had, a, you know, a, a, a great awakening, um, being home with my wife and my son and realizing that, you know, maybe I had put far too much, uh, emphasis on the wrong syllable, you know, um, my music career had become so encompassing of my time and my emotion and my energy and all this stuff that I realized that I had not given my family what they actually needed from me, which was me and, um, being home and being a dad and, and a, and a teacher and a husband and, you know, learning how to bake bread and realizing, God, man, I've missed a lot of, of things in my life that I, I enjoy. Um, 
I said, I need to figure out when I can, when I can wrap this up. I, you know, I, I love music and I, and it, it is a part of my life and I love playing live and I love performing and I love the fans. And, you know, um, that is, is something that I, I never take for granted, but I knew that I didn't love it the way I did when I started. And, um, and so I said to my wife, I said, I think I want to make one last record and I want to do it um, in 2023 when the 30th anniversary of the, the debut comes out. And then I want to just put a nice little bow on this thing and wrap it up at the end of the year. And how do you feel about that? And she said, I would love that, but only if you're ready, you know, and it took me from 2020 to 2022 to realize that I was, and um, you know, and, and I don't ever want to be a performer that phones in on stage. That's, a, you know, I've been to those shows. I've seen those shows. I don't want to do that. And, and I would hate to become that person. And I, in, in going out, I think, you know, if, if this is my top where I'm at and I'm going out on it and I'm, I'm in the best shape ever and my voice is in the best shape ever and the music that I'm making, the shows that we're playing are fantastic and, and we're having an absolute blast, then what better way to go? Well, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Strictly speaking, as a fan, I say that all the time. As hard as it is to see bands that I love end, I would much rather have them end respectfully with dignity than to, as I say, stay too long at the party they're a shell of what they once were. They can't do it anymore. They sound like shit. Half of it's fake and it's not even real. And it's like, there's nothing worse than that. So I'd rather, I, I respect totally where you're coming from on that. Um, but Mike, but did you go into th this record that's going to come out that is now titled the long goodbye? Did you make it knowing you were going to make it as a final candle box record? Or did you make this decision after the material was written and recorded? No, no, we did it last year. We, we started writing the record last year. Um, I told the guys what my plan was. Um, uh, we did a re uh, recording session in Baltimore in September where we recorded 12 songs for a week. We did it, just rented an Airbnb, and we all sat in there and, and worked during the day and went to a studio and recorded the tracks. And then we did another writing session in Los Angeles um, uh, for a week uh, at my buddy's studio, Don Miggs, who owns a studio called La La Mansion out there. Uh, and Don's actually the producer on this record. Um, I sent him the tracks and I said, this is the last Candlebox record. I want it to be the furthest extension of music and, and creativity that I've ever had. And um, this is the evolution of where I'm at in my life. And can you do it? And he was like, let's make that fucking record. And we did. And it's pretty, I mean, I know artists always say, I love this record. It's my favorite record, but it really is um, because there's so much in it. There's, there's so many stories. Um, there's such a part of my life in this album. There's 30 years of my life in this record. Um, the song punks, which you were mentioning earlier, the first single, that's basically, that talks about the, the road that's been paved for all of us that think that we're doing something different and creating something different. It's been there a long, long time. And if you're not, in, if you're not capable of, of having something outside of this life that you're living as a rock star, if you will, um, that grounds you, um, you really have nothing. And, and it's a hard, you know, it's a hard decision to make for me to stand there every night and sing these songs, realize this is the last time I'm going to sing this in Cleveland. This is the last time I'm going to sing this in New York. Last time I'm going to sing this in, you know, New Orleans, whatever, unless I'm doing a charity show, which I will do charity events from, you know, for the future. Um, but you know, I'm not going to go out and play shows to get paid. I want to give back to a community that has given me so much. I started a foundation, which is going to take up a ton of my time. So all of this decision, all of these decisions led up to making this record and, um, and every lyric and every word on this record, I did a bunch of co-writes in Nashville with young artists that I, I really admire. 
uh, an artist by the name of Nick Brown, who sings for the band Mona, who's one of my favorite bands of all time. He wrote two of the songs with me on this record that I absolutely love. Um, they're just fucking killer stomp tracks. And, you know, it's, it's just, I knew what I wanted to do. And the guys in the band went with me and my producer, Don took me directly to where I wanted to go. And it's mixed by Mark Needham, who's, you know, fucking unbelievable mixer. Um, and it's really, I mean, it's all over the place. It's a, it's a super fucking inspired album. And I, and I just can't wait for people to hear it. Well, you'll be able to hear it. Uh, it comes out when, when's the actual release date for the album? August 25th, August 25th. And you can see Candlebox on tour, uh, starting with a headline show at the Troubadour in LA tomorrow. Uh, tonight you're actually playing in Sacramento at hard rock yeah, live. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. So tonight you're in Sacramento with Three Doors Down. Tomorrow headline at the Troubadour in L.A. And then you continue from there with Three Doors Down. Everybody can go to the website, candleboxrocks.com, for more information. Last thing, Kevin, and I'll let you go. It's interesting. You're calling this the long goodbye. So about six, seven years ago, I had the opportunity to tour Mexico with Deep Purple, who were calling their tour the long goodbye and are still on it (laughs) and are have made three studio records during it and are still touring. Uh, The other day, the Eagles announced who announced their farewell back in 2000, that they are on the long goodbye tour that they are calling it the same thing that they are saying could go for anywhere from three to five years and as many shows as it takes. My point is, is that uh, you are, you are way younger than either of those bands and you are on the long goodbye. Uh, You know, Motley Crue famously signed a contract. We're never coming back from a farewell. Can you say in any certainty that when this is all wrapped up, that this indeed will be a goodbye for you and Candlebox? It, it is. I'm a man of my word. And, um, you know, like I said, I will still do my own shows acoustically for charities, but, but the band is done. There will be no more music. Um, there will be no more records made. Uh, Candlebox is, is being, uh, is being put away. Being extinguished. Yep. <laughs> the candle is being extinguished. extinguished. All right. <laughs> there you go. Um, Hey man, it's great talking to you. Thank you for the time. Good luck on the tour. And, uh, if this really is the end, um, I'm, I hope it all goes uh, phenomenally well for you and uh, good to catch up with you for a bit. Hope to see you out there. Thanks, Eddie. I really appreciate it. Great chatting with you, bud. You too, man. Take care, all right? We'll see you. Thanks to Kevin Martin of Candlebox. It was 30 years since that first record, as you heard. And uh, they, of course, are doing a final album, which is out now called The Long Goodbye and on what is essentially a farewell tour. Make of that what you will. I don't believe anybody ever when they say it's a a farewell these days, as you guys know. But great to visit with Kevin and go down memory lane there about that massive debut album from Candlebox and what's going on with the band now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Up next, a second interview for you this week on the podcast. Lejean Witherspoon of Seven Dust. Here's how that conversation went. Lejean, how are you, buddy? I am fantastic. How are you, my brother? And thank you for the introduction. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And it's been a minute since we talked, so this is really cool. It is. I want to say it was around, might have been like at the height of the pandemic we talked about something. I think think you were on because I believe at that time, well, maybe you were working on something solo or something because at that time I remember you telling me that you were building or moving into a farmhouse or something. Do I have that right? Oh my goodness! Yeah, wow. We were uh, actually the farmhouse is finished now. We were remodeling it, and actually, Seven Dust for Truth Killer. We went in and wrote several songs for Truth Killer in the farmhouse. Uh, so uh, yeah, that that's true. We it's, uh, it's been a minute. Yeah, so it's good to talk to you again. The world changed there. Everything stopped, and uh, uh, that album actually that when, but the last time we talked, it was Blood and Stone. It was the album that we put out that we weren't able to tour. So it's nice to be back in the world with things getting back to normal again. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Now, where is this house? It's it's your property? It's where you live? Well, I live in Overland Park. Uh, the house is in Baldwin, so which is right there by Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, KU, the college, is probably about 15 minutes away from that area. And uh, the family, uh, my wife and the family, that we have 300 acres out there, and we maintain about 15 wow. with some cattle. And uh, it's just really nice and secluded. You know, the only re- the only neighbors are her relatives, so it's a, it's really cool. It's a place to get away. If you ever need a place to go, let me know. <laughs> that's it. Well, that sounds like that's definitely a getaway. You said three hundred acres, and you maintain fifteen. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's all. You know, that's all we can do right there with what you know with my time and being away from you know home and being on the road and stuff. So we have someone that goes out there and cuts it and you know, hand, handles the cattle and everything for us. And we're able to go back out, you know, whenever we have time. Uh, so right now, Ash's sister from Panama city beach is actually staying there for a little while. Uh, and so it's cool, you know, to have someone come in and out. So yeah, we, it's a good getaway. And for now, do you live there when you're not on the road? Is that your home? Do you live on that property? Oh no, not at all. Nope. Nope. It sits there. Nope. nope oh, okay. There. Mm-hmm. Got you. But the band went there to make the new record. Did you did you rehearse there or record there or both? So actually we went down, you know, when we started building the place, it was such a surreal 
atmosphere. I said it would be great to to bring the band down and uh, uh, brought Clint down. And we wrote a couple of songs and then said, oh, my God, this would be great. So the band came out. And, you know, Eddie, what was so cool about it, it reminded us of being, it reminded me of being a kid in the band when you tried to have to find a place to rehearse. And so imagine us set up in Grandma's room, Morgan Rose's <laughs> drum and set in front of the bedroom, in front of the bed, not Grandma's old bed, it's a new bed in there, but still, that would be cool if it was her bed. But anyway, him set up in front of the bed, Vinny sitting on the end of the bed, and John on the opposite side with the guitar, Clint with the table that we've made with the computer and everything to record everything and a mic stand standing there. And we were jamming and writing songs together in this room and in the opposite room doing the same thing. And uh, I was taking pictures and doing video and it just reminded me of being that kid having to find a place to jam. And that's what we were doing. And it was just real. The music was just pure. Uh, us waking up in the morning laughing and, you know, just being in that tight quarters right there. Just uh, It just brought us back to being that, uh, that young that I feel like that young energy after being in closed up in that pandemic for so long, it just made good for us to be together in that, 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 that time. Yeah. I mean, and you guys have been doing this now for a while. I mean, you've been, you've been at this for 25 plus years. And I yeah. imagine that although you're all friends and I know you enjoy your, your time on the road together and in buses and planes or whatever it may be getting into an environment like that, was correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like it would almost be a little bit of a reset too, like kind of reconnecting back to the roots and kind of reestablishing some things with people. Was there like a, a deeper connection that you felt that you kind of reestablished maybe in that setting? Eddie, absolutely, man. Just to uh, imagine, you know, stopping working and by the end of the evening and going outside and pulling the grill out from the garage and just having the band sit there and laugh. And, you know, you can pop fireworks. So I got tons of fireworks out there in the country. And so we're doing that kind of stuff and just having a good time. I remember waking up one morning and John, you know, going him and Clint getting ready to go for a run. And John looking out the window on the opposite side of the farm and him looking at back at me and saying, hey, man, I think uh, it looks like a baby cow or with a calf or whatever is out of the gate. And I'm like, oh, no, it's no way. It's a new gate. It's okay. You're probably seeing something weird. And so I was like, okay, whatever. And he goes back over to the, the window again at him. He looks out. He's like, no, nah, man, I think, look, it looks like it's right beside the cars right there. And I run over to the window. I'm like, oh, God dang it, there's a calf outside. We go outside, and you got John Conley in this running weird, I don't know, marathon gear that he's got on. <laughs> His hands are up in the air. He's flailing around trying to get this calf in the gate. And I'm like, stop it. Please stop looking like that. That's what's scaring him. <laughs> But, but, you know, we just laughed so hard. And right after that, to go back in the house and all of us laughing and then writing music together again, you said it was, I don't know, it was like an enduring uh, feeling of just that, you know, just everything was cool. It was just fun. It was a good time. Yeah, it definitely brought back some old feelings and just a restart, uh, a reset, not only with that, you know, signing that new record deal with Napalm and, you know, them being behind us and seeing a difference in uh, the temperature of what's going on with our career is amazing right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's kind of like a whole new chapter for you guys. And you know, how did that environment, being out there like that and writing in an environment like that, how did it actually, do you feel it had any impact on the actual music and the direction this record's taking? Oh, absolutely, man. It was just wide open, you know, just no, there was no boundaries out there. You know, you could play as loud as you wanted to, uh, 
and just just having no worries at all. And that was another thing. We didn't have any uh, – it was no pressure once we went into this. You know, it was like, hey, let's go in and, and do what we do at this point of our career. And that was a really good feeling to be able to go into an album like that uh, with no pressure and, and knowing that we had something that we were going to do that was special. I feel like the angst of us being locked up for that, you know, those few years that we were locked up, we were able to – to put that energy into this album, Truth Killer. And, uh, you know, I feel like this in, in the songs as the album plays out, people will understand it. Yeah, the album, as LeJean, as LeJean just mentioned, is called Truth Killer, uh, the latest album from Seven Dust. It comes out two weeks from tomorrow, July 28th. And you've already led with some tracks, as is kind of the norm these days. Artists tend to release two, three, sometimes four singles and videos in advance of the actual full album coming out. You guys have done that with uh, a number of really cool videos and some killer songs. But the one that jumps out that I got to ask you about is one that you actually are not even in, in human form. You're in it in clay form. And that is for the song fence with a claymation video, which I thought was the coolest thing I ever saw. Tell me about the idea of doing a video like that. Man. Thank you, Eddie, for saying it was the coolest video because the other day, just yesterday, I've been doing press every day. And uh, a gentleman, I forget who was a syndicated show, was like, I didn't like that video. <laughs> and that was the only person that said, and I was like, wow. And he said, maybe it's just not my thing. And I said to him, let me tell you about this video. Eddie, I'll tell you. So at the time that it was time to do a video, after we signed this record deal, I remember our manager saying, you know, we guys want to do a video for this. And I was like, oh, man, we don't really, we're not ready to do a video. I was like, who wants to see us right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I think if I'm being honest out there, anybody, sometimes a band don't want to be in the video because we might not feel like it's time to be seen. So anyway, that was the thing that was going on. And uh, we said, well, do we have an idea for, you know, direction for a video? And some different video ideas came in. And this cat came in with this claymation idea, Eddie, and immediately it took me back to the uh, uh, Adult Swim uh, death match and all that type stuff. And I'm like, we got to do something like this. This is crazy. People will get this. And sure enough, I feel like it went over well, and everyone seems to enjoy the video. So thank you for saying you liked it. And uh, as, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to hopefully ask the uh, the director and the guy that made the video to give me some of those claymation things so I can put it in my bar here at the house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be cool. And I'll tell you, I mean, I'm I'm older than you. I, you know, I'm mm -hmm. 58. I, I go back to uh, – I, I can't remember the name of the show, but I, when I was a very, very little kid, there was uh, – there was a show of like a kid and his dog and it was in claymation. And I, I know can't remember for the life of me. I can't remember what the hell it was called, but it totally took me back to being a little kid and, and watching that show, which I was really into when I was super young. That's so awesome, man. The nostalgia of that. See, that's cool. That's what I, we hope that that will do the grab, grab those people. I would think that it'll be cool. We've talked about doing maybe other videos like that to keep that nostalgia going because it was such a cool time and like you said it reminded you of being that kid and it reminds so many other people and me too of those times man it was fun and something else with that video if you notice the lighting and stuff on this tour that we're doing Alter Bridge we have the same lighting guy and this gentleman's uh program the light so it looks just like the fence video when we're performing on stage and it's hilarious I love it oh that's that's <laughs> it, awesome it's so it's yeah, it's really cool to see it. And if you've seen the video, you kind of you, you sync it together. You're like, oh, my God, this is the video. <laughs> yeah. My producers are telling me the show I'm thinking of. Both of them are hitting me with it. Davy and Goliath. I don't know how I could have oh, yeah. forgotten that. 
Yes, absolutely. We were. Oh man, I know exactly. I'm 50, so I'm not. You're not very much older than me. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it totally. It just brought me back. But it's so cool. Is it expect? Like I know it's super expensive to do animation, straight up animation. Is it expensive to do claymation? I don't think we'd be doing it if it was that expensive. So we you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it was costly enough for us to put it out. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. But yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. Uh, time-consuming and a lot of hard work. I know that for sure with every, you know, thing that he was doing in all the different scenes and different, you know, it, it takes so much time to do all those different things. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we it wouldn't be, you know, I, I'll tell you what, we didn't, it wasn't anything that was, that was breaking the budget for us, You may, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does, because I know that re- straight-up animation is, uh, it, I've heard from many, it's very expensive. And, and look, mm-hmm. what's the what's the best scenario if you're a band then you can have a music video made for one of your songs and you didn't even have to show up or do anything you could just look at the look at the version of it and approve it right i mean like you said if you weren't ready you weren't feeling it you just you could you didn't have to even go to a set or have to mime to the song or anything absolutely and then guess what happened after that uh we went, ended up being in St. Louis somewhere, and they made us do like three or four live videos. So there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> right, you knew it was going to come what eventually. Happened? Right, right. And those videos. I, uh, thought we weren't, I thought we weren't supposed to be seen, and then all of a sudden we're doing six hundred <laughs> videos. <laughs> Everything turned out fantastic, and we're so happy with it. And uh, and that just goes to show you when you have a label behind you and uh, a group of people that believe in uh, what you're doing is really cool and it helps a lot, especially in these times. And uh, that just leads on to saying, you know, hopefully we're going back overseas and everything to rebuild those relationships and just us being back out in America, in the world again, and going on these big tours. It's, it's going to be a good time for us. Yeah. And just uh, as far as the videos are concerned, there are the other videos, the live ones are very cool too. There's one for Holy Water. There's one for everything. So there's three total out now. Do, or, do I have that right? Yes, sir. You're absolutely right, man. You know your stuff, Eddie. I love it. <laughs> yeah, three total that everybody can go check out on YouTube. And again, Truth Killer, the new album from Seven Dust is coming out on July 28th, two weeks from tomorrow. And as far as touring is concerned, Lejean, uh, I'm I'm a huge Alter Bridge fan, and uh, and I saw them with with uh, with Wolf on the first run through the U.S. So now you guys are joining that, and I know you know you guys are all buddies, and you're jumping in, taking that middle slot. So now it's become a triple bill, and what a triple bill it is. I'm sure you got to be looking forward to that. Oh, you just said it. reset everything that I was going to say. Are you kidding me? So, you know, watching Whoopi grow up and, you know, him hanging out with us this whole time and seeing his career take off and just watching him blossom, and not only a young man, but just an artist has been incredible. I've been waiting for this forever, just to be able to tour with him. Uh, I, t- I was able to take the family out to the Alter Ridge and Mammoth and uh, Pistol. Was it Pistols or something? It was a good band. I can't remember the name but so far. But anyway, it was a great show. So this is going to be like a bro-down tour, and I can't wait <laughs> for it. What a great night of music and uh, just a bunch of cats that have grown up together. Just recently, uh, we were at Mar- my, me and my family were at Mark Tremonti's house visiting on, on our summer break, and Mark was in Switzerland FaceTiming us at his house. So, yes, yeah, definitely a family affair on this one, man. <laughs> oh, wow. You crashed Tremonti's house and he wasn't even there? No, he wasn't there, man. My whole family busted up in the house, man. We went <laughs> over and had, hung out, and we got to meet the new baby, Stella, for the first time. And uh, Nice. Just, I hadn't seen the new house since it's been remodeled, so it was incredible. And I'm walking around just in amazement, and we got to FaceTime with Mark. It was great. You know, uh, he's 
talking with. So, yeah, well, that's family. That's We've been knowing him for a million years. So, yeah, that's definitely a true thing. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, yeah, he's the best. I I, I love the band. And now he's uh, he's got it. Maybe he'll be singing you some Sinatra on this tour, you know? Maybe he'll croon to you a little bit. Well, guess what? I can say on the inside, uh, this last tour that we were on with him, uh, I was uh, in the dressing room one morning, and all I could hear from Mark Chimani's, uh dressing room when he's in there ripping out on the guitar was him singing Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and I, I remember him opening the door, and I'm like, what's going on? And he was singing Frank Sinatra Christmas songs, and it sounded amazing. So, yeah, he's definitely into it. <laughs> Yeah, and he does it really well. You know, when I was at the show, when they played in New Jersey a few months ago, I was in the dressing room, and the first thing he did was open up his laptop and played me the Sinatra song that they announced yesterday that he did, the Godfather thing of him singing it like that. And I was like, my God, the guy nails it. I mean, it's a whole other side of him. It's so cool. Yeah, it's amazing, man. It's very exciting to see him to bring back that that nostalgic. You know, that is very cool. Uh, I'm very proud of what he's doing with that, man. Yeah, so that's that's a run of dates. It's it, what a phenomenal bill uh, with uh, with Wolfie now in the opening slot, Seven Dust middle slot, Alter Bridge closing. So those dates are happening, and then you got a co-headline coming up, kicking off October sixth, and that is uh, with Static X and Dope in the opening slot, and uh, that should be pretty interesting. I have not seen Static X in this current uh, configuration. But I'm looking forward to doing so if I can make one of these shows. Do you have a lot of history with those guys? Okay, well, Walt, check this out. Well, Dope, we've not played with in 24 years, and I guess that would be the same with Static X, too, then. Etzel Dope has been a buddy of mine for a million years since day one. And over these course of years, uh, I've worked with Etzel on different projects that a lot of people might not even know about, but we've kind of kept in touch. And several years ago, uh, we ran into each other in California when I was working on some solo stuff. And uh, we kind of talked about touring together one day because he was working on not only getting Dope back together, but another project that he was putting together that he thought would be a great idea to uh, for us to all be a part of. And sure enough, this phone call came and we talked about it. And I said, this I think this would be really cool to be a part of. And let me tell you, Eddie, after seeing the production and what's going on with this, man, it's definitely going to be something for everyone to see. It's uh, I look very forward to being on that tour, too, as well. Yeah, that'll start on October 6th. And you just touched on this a second ago. As far as stuff that you do outside of Seven Dust with solo music, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, where are you at with that? You have something new coming? Uh, you know, so uh, right now I'll be going back down to Nashville again. I've been working out with uh, Andrew Bayless and uh, Michael Whitworth and uh, Dan and a couple of other cats, and it's uh, one of Jelly Roll's main writing teams right there in Nashville. And uh, I've been working also with the Four Horsemen. Probably got about 20 songs right now, and I'm going back in and, and kind of rounding it up, maybe doing like three more songs. But uh, there's a little bit of record label interest in uh, having some meetings and stuff. So I'm taking my time on that, but uh, I'm excited about that. I'll probably release, a, you know, just a, like a little leaker song again, like I did a couple, you know, like last year or something, but I'll do that. But I'm really excited about people hearing a different side of what I do. You know, it's not too crazy. It's not too far away from Seven Dust, but it's definitely a, a different side of LJ. And when you're getting ready, LeJean, I mean, you, mm-hmm. you'd you put, I don't know what number record this is, I think uh, 14th, according to my notes here, 14th studio mm-hmm. record, which is just crazy, man, because mm-hmm. I remember like, I remember in the, I remember J.J. French, who was like your first manager, beat me up about listening to Seven Dust. I mean, that it seems like yesterday, but that's already decades ago, which is just crazy. But when you, yeah, when crazy. you, uh. When you get ready to, re- you know, you're about to release a new record to your fans and to the rock world as you are in two weeks. 
you, do you get what, what take me inside how you're feeling about it? Like, are you a guy that gets like wrapped up in what people think and what reviews might be happening and chart positions oh. and airplay stats, or do you just kind of like put it out there? It is what it is. And I'm on to the next, like what, what's your, what's your process well, on the eve of a new album? Good question. My process on the eve of a new album is I don't want to know about the charts and all that stuff. I just want to know how it affects and makes everyone feel that's very good because uh i remove myself from the album after we record an album i don't know if everyone does this but uh, i don't like to listen to it again until it's time for everyone else to listen to it that's so crazy but i do it like that the only reason i know the song fence is because we had to put it in the set and i had to learn it because i wanted to wait to listen to the album again and have that same effect and feeling that everyone has now recently i had to listen to it two nights in a row but I haven't listened to it again since then until it comes out uh, for the listening party. And it was an amazing to do it that way, to feel the energy at the same time as these other folks uh, that we've grown up with are listening to it. So, yeah, I don't I, – that's the way I do it, Eddie. You know, that's my eve. Is I, I, It's like Christmas for me. It's like, all right, today's the release date, and I want to listen to it today in its entirety the same way that other people are going to do it, you know, and remember the songs in that sense and not be tired of them by the time it comes out because it's been sitting for so long. You know what I mean? Do you ever go back and listen to the catalog or only if you have to re-listen to stuff to put it in the set? Oh, I go back and listen to the catalog for sure, uh, especially with the family sometimes. I'll, you know, I'll, you know, we sit around and the kids are very musical and it's always fun to – to, to go down the catalog and, and at this point it's like wow we got we really have a lot of songs this is a that's it's a it's a it's amazing to look back and then when you say it it does seem like yesterday but then it's been so many years and so so much work has been done it's uh it's it's cool to look back at it now yeah no how old are your kids uh well i have a 15 year old uh and then a six-year-old is getting ready to turn seven and then i have one that's an adult uh in atlanta now so uh yeah, the house is definitely not stopping it. These kids, it seems like they should, I don't know, man. It seems like they should be paying us for much of they're doing around here these days. <laughs> <laughs> man, LeJean, let me tell you something. I got a 19-year-old daughter who went to school for a trade, and she has been sitting on the sofa for the last year, and I got into it with her today, and I said, it's time. You might have to start. Look, when I started out looking for work, I didn't get to be on the radio right immediately. I had to put some time in. I said, so you better better figure something out because you're getting way too lazy sitting around in front of the TV. <laughs> I, I hear you. So what, listen to this. That is so funny. My wife is shaking her head saying yes in a parallel world. So my son right now is going to summer school. Tomorrow's the last day. It's only a week to camp, summer camp from nine o'clock in the morning until noon. I'm like, wait a second. And they don't feed them or anything. So I'm like, what happened? To when we went to Camp Eddie at 8 o'clock in the morning and get back until 5, had a box lunch with a dry bologna sandwich with an apple. <laughs> Came it's back different red, times, sun, man. Sunburnt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just different times. I I just, you know, she sits she sits by the window. My kids sit by the window and watch my the landscaper I pay cut my lawn. And I'm like, when I was your age, my father kicked my ass because I had to go do that. Exactly. You know what? That's so funny. It's so true. It's so many things like that. You're like, oh, my God, these kids have it made, and they don't Ugh. realize it. But, yeah, times have changed, and I'm glad to be that dad to be able to give them those things that they need. But uh, this morning, my daughter came in and did something. I looked at her, and I said, drop down and give me 10 push-ups, and she just died laughing. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, man, it's always great to visit with you. Please say hello to the guys. And uh, everybody check out the new Seven Dust, Seven Dust album, Truth Killer. It's released on July 28th. You'll get the dates with Alter Bridge first. And then later on, you got that run starting in October with Static X and Dope. Uh, great to talk to you, man. Good luck with the record. And uh, hopefully I'll Thank see you out there soon. Hi, brother. Pleasure always. God bless you. I give my love to the family, and I'll see you out there soon, my brother. All right. Take care, Lejean. You too, Ed. Thank you to Lejean from Seven Dust for joining me. Check out their new album, which is coming out soon in its entirety. A couple singles and videos out there already. And Seven Dust currently opening for Alter Bridge. Mammoth WVH on that tour as well. That tour is out there right now. Thanks earlier as well to Kevin Martin of Candlebox. Again, everything you hear on the podcast originated live on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation. Please listen Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. Nightly re-airs, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific, anytime on the Sirius XM app. And if you don't have Sirius XM, again, get a free three-month trial, no credit card needed. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. And be sure to follow on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. Catch you on the radio or back here next Thursday for another Eddie Trunk podcast. Take care. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.